Open your Bibles this morning, if you would, first of all, to Numbers chapter 14. In the Old Testament, the fourth book of the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, chapter 14 is where we're going to begin. We'll have the verses on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. You can follow along with us on the screen. Numbers 14. Then a little bit later, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5. So Numbers 14, then Galatians chapter 5. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for the presence of your spirit. God, we welcome you. We're so glad that you've come here today to speak into our lives, each and every one of us personally, right where we are. God, I pray today that your word would come alive, that you would give us the information that we need individually to keep moving forward, walking with you. Well, thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a series entitled Something New. And along the way, you know, Pastor Zach has done a Sunday or two, and we've had a guest speaker or two, but I want to continue this series probably for a few more weeks. And we'll have some interruptions. You know, last week we talked about moms on Mother's Day. But I, I really feel in my heart that God is wanting to do some new things in our lives. And we talked about this beginning in Isaiah 43, when God says, don't get stuck in the old things and the things I've already done. God said, I want to do new things. We've talked about things that God wants to do for us. Today, I want to begin to shift the focus to things that God wants to do in us. Things that God wants to do in us. And in this series, we've talked about the fact that in order to have a really healthy relationship with God, we need to see God doing new things for us, new things in us, and then new things through us. And there needs to be a balance in our lives of God working in many different ways. So with this in mind, let's dive into God's Word today. And I want to ask you a question. What is God wanting? What is God trying to do in us? What is God wanting to do in my life? What is God trying to do in my life? Not for me. You know, it's funny how our prayer time tends to wind up at a place where it's like, okay, God, today I need you to do this and this and this and this, amen. Then the next day it's this and this and this and this, amen. And then when all those things get taken care of, sometimes our prayer lives are a place where we stop to pray and it's like, uh, let's see, what do I need you to do for me today? And we lose sight of the fact that God is not only wanting to work for us, he's also trying to work in us. And he wants to work through us. If we'll just be aware of him trying to do New things. What is God trying to do? What is he wanting to do? Well, ultimately, the answer is pretty simple. He's trying to develop his nature in us. God is trying to develop his nature in me. You know, there's, there's an old saying that I've used for years, but I, I like to use it here. God loves me just the way I am but he loves me too much to leave me the way I am. Because I need some changing. Can I hear two or three amens? Come on, don't be so vibrant about me. Let's talk about you for a minute, okay? God loves you just the way you are, but God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. So he's continually going to be working in your life. And the last time, a couple weeks ago, when I was talking about this subject, I talked about the new birth. You know, Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus saying, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. And here's what happens. The Holy Spirit, the first thing he does in our lives is he comes and he convinces us we're lost in sin, we need forgiveness, and we need a Savior. 
And that points us to Jesus. He convicts us. He convinces us of our need of a Savior. And then when we open our hearts to God, He comes into our lives and the Holy Spirit, He regenerates us. He makes us come alive spiritually. And then He moves inside of us to live. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will abide in you. He doesn't come to visit now and then. He comes to live and to stay in us. So if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is living in you. And he's living there, not just to get you through to eternity, not just to take you into eternity, but to begin to work in you to make you more like Jesus. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to read from Numbers chapter 14. And I think what happens in Numbers 13 and 14 is one of the saddest stories in all the Bible. You know, the Bible's full of stories, exciting stories, fun stories, Miraculous stories, but there's also some sad stories in there. And in Numbers 13, we have one of the more sad stories in all the Bible. And let me kind of set it up for you if I could. God has taken the people of Israel. He's got them out of Egypt's bondage. They've started this journey on the way to the promised land. Now, let me see if I can explain this in such a way where it really sets up what happens here. When they left the land of Egypt and they crossed through the Red Sea, which I'll come back to in a moment. When they started this journey, they were only three to five days journey from the promised land. But God said, these people have been slaves. They don't know how to face battle. They don't know how to fight. They will be overrun with fear. So God said, I'm going to take them the long way around through the wilderness and we're going to go in from up north because that way I can teach them my nature and they will learn to trust me. What God was saying was, I'm going to work for you. I'm going to do things all around you. I'm going to take good care of you. But along the journey, I want you to learn about me. I want to do a work for you, but I also want to do a work in you. Because in order to go in and take the land of promise, I have to develop you to be ready for the challenges that await you there. So God in his mercy led them away from immediate battle so he could teach them his nature. And what happened was, if you go back and look at it, God did some amazing things for Israel. Paul, in his writings in Corinthians, said that God recorded those things for us, that they could be an example to us, an encouragement, an admonition. But here's what happened. Ten plagues fell on the land of Egypt. The people were engulfed in the plagues, but they never touched God's people living there in the land. It was miraculous. And then from there, when God released them from bondage and they started their journey, the presence of God came down as a cloud, a a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to protect them, to separate them from the enemy and to show them the way to lead them. Day by day by day, at daytime, nighttime, God's presence is right there for them to see. It's miraculous. And then when they got down to the Red Sea and they were trapped, God opened up the waters of the Red Sea. They crossed on dry ground. When Pharaoh's armies pursued, God caused the waters to come back together again and drown the armies of Pharaoh. It was amazing the miracles God did for them. Then they came to a place called Merah, and they were all thirsty from their journey. And they got there, and there's all these pools of water, but the waters are poisoned. They're bitter. They can't drink from the water, but God heals the waters and makes them sweet and drinkable. And they partake of the water, and they're refreshed. It was a miracle. And then they got out in the wilderness and there's no food and they're hungry and God sent them manna. All they had to do was get out of bed in the morning and breakfast, lunch, and dinner was just laying all around the tent. It was there for them. God did miraculous things for them. 
But he was trying to get them to learn within themselves God's nature so that they would learn to trust God and believe God. And then they got thirsty and God gave them water from the rock. I mean, I mean, enough water came out of the rock to, to really give water to hundreds of thousands, maybe over a million people. It was amazing what God did. And then when they complained about that, he gave them quail as a delicacy. He just caused quail to fly into the camp from everywhere. It was amazing what God did. On and on and on it goes. They faced battle with the Amalekites, and God gave them a miraculous victory. But the time came when God even gave them the law. With his own finger, he carved the law on, on the tablets of stone and gave them the Ten Commandments. And Moses brought them down off the mountain. But the whole time, the people were so engrossed in what God was doing for them that they never stopped to realize God was trying to do something in them. Then they came to this place called Kadesh Barnea. When they arrived there, God said, okay, I've done all this stuff for you to show you who I am and what I am. It's time for you to take the next step. And they sent 10 or 12 spies into the land, one for every tribe. They sent 12 spies into the land to spy out the land. Moses said, go in and check out the land. See what it's like. See what the terrain is. Tell me about the harvest, the food of the land. And while you're there, check out all the people. See how they, how they dwell. Do they live in tents? Do they live in fortified cities? What's the condition of the people? What are they like? Come back and tell us all about it. And the 12 spies came back and they said, wow. Listen closely. Wow. Just like God said, milk and honey flows in the land. Now, in my thinking today, milk and honey doesn't mean anything to me. I know what milk is and I know what honey is, but to say the land flows in milk and honey, what that means is it's a land of amazing provision. Everything you could want is right there. There's just delicacy everywhere. It's an amazing place of provision. But they said, not only that, but the fruit is so great that they had to carry the clusters of grapes on poles between their shoulders. That was just amazing, the produce of the land. Just like God said, it's an amazing place. But, 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 giants live in the land. And the people don't live in tents, they live in walled cities. And when we looked on those giants, we felt like we were grasshoppers compared to them. And as we were in our sight, so we became in their sight. And 10 of the 12 spies said, we cannot take this land. God said, this land is yours. It's the land of promise. 10 out of 12 said, we can't take it. Joshua and Caleb rose up and said, no, let's go in and take the land now. God has given it to us. He will give us victory. Look at all the amazing things he's done. He will give us this land as well. But the people listened to 10 spies and said no. And they began to grumble and complain again. And the interesting thing is, if you look at this journey, all throughout this journey, every time there was a challenge, the people grumbled and griped and complained in unbelief. And finally, God said at this time, you know what? Kind of had it with you guys. Notice what he says in Numbers chapter 14, verse 22. There's a lot to what he said there, but I want to look at just two verses. Numbers 14, verse 22 says this. God says, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times, notice that, ten times, and have not heeded my voice, verse 23, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Think about that. 
We've been on this journey. I've worked miracle after miracle, but at least 10 times now, we've encountered problems and what have you done? You've grumbled and griped and complained and said, let's go back to the old life. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to living in sin. Let's go be the way we used to be because God's nowhere to be seen. They were so wrapped up in what God was doing for them that they never understood God was trying to do something in them to prepare them for a better future. And they missed the will of God. You know what the consequences of unbelief are? The consequences are you go in circles. You live in the past. Oh, I've been here before. Oh, oh yeah, I remember this place. Oh, yeah, I remember this place. Oh, yeah. How many times am I going to... That's what happened to Israel. For 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness until everybody 20 years of age and over was dead. And then God said, I'll raise up a faithful generation who will understand my nature, and we will go in and possess the land. I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. Sad. It's sad. But you know what? I, I've known a lot of people through the years in churches. I've known a lot of people who believed in God. But yet their relationship with God got stunted. And all they did was just go around in circles, around in circles, around in circles, and around in circles. Because it was all about me, 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 and what God's going to do for me. And they never understood God was trying to do something in them. To change us. To develop the nature of Christ in us. What happened with this generation? What happened? I mean, how can, you, how can you see all those miracles and come out of bondage to this place? How can you wind up at this place? For one thing, it was the constant griping and complaining. But they never allowed what God was doing for them to open up their hearts to understand God wanted to do something in them. The wilderness was never meant to be their destination. It was only a place of preparation for going in and possessing the land of promise. I think sometimes, you know, I hear people all the time talk about, well, I'm in this wilderness place. You know, those kind of people, because they always get, wilderness has got like nine syllables and there's a quiver in their voice. I'm in this wilderness place. You know, the wilderness is just a place we're passing through to get where we're going to. That's all it is. God never intended for us to die there. But in those places, God will show us his nature to unlock our hearts and help us understand God wants to do things in us. But I've also learned that it's really, really, really easy to allow wrong attitudes and wrong habits to interfere with God's ability to develop his nature in us. Sometimes the way I think, sometimes my attitudes towards things stops God from finishing his work in me which keeps me from becoming what God wants me to be. When I was a young preacher, and I've told you a little bit of the story, but I traveled for about seven years preaching in churches, and then I settled down when I was about 31 and started, started pastoring, 30, 31. Started pastoring a church in another state. And because I was no longer traveling and preaching, and because I had to preach three or four times a week or teach three or four times a week, I had to spend a lot of time, a lot of time studying, digging a well, filling that, that well full of God's Word to teach out of. And on that journey of filling that well, God began to use His Word to change 
my life. And I'll never forget as long as I live. I started pastoring, and you know, when you start pastoring, it's different because you're dealing with people all the time. You're, you're right with where people live. You don't get to preach and leave town. You've got to live with the good, the bad, and the ugly of all of it. And I remember in the middle of that studying, God began to take what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, what we call the Beatitudes, the first part. He took the Beatitudes, and he literally took me apart. Because I'd been raised in church. I'd been raised in a real strong legalistic system. And God had to show me the things that I'd been taught that were wrong. And the things that I thought I could earn, which only came by grace. God began to show me one thing and then the next. And it seemed like as I went through those eight Beatitudes, every time I got to the next one, I spent a week working through it. Because God didn't want me to get it here. God needed me to get it here. Because there were places his people needed to go. And if I was going to lead the way, if I didn't understand it, there was no way they were ever going to get it. And God began to change me. But you know, let me illustrate this to you. Have you ever met somebody who's kind of like this? Well, that's just the way I am. You can take it or leave it. You ever met somebody like that? See, I know a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's just how I am. I'm wired that way. If you don't like it, just buzz off. I don't care. And the truth of the matter is, I think sometimes when we have those attitudes, God says, okay, you're on your own. That's what happened with Israel in the wilderness. They took on attitudes that closed their hearts from what God was trying to do to prepare them for greater things, to move forward with the nature and character of God. Because the fact is, I want you to listen closely to this, whatever is going on inside of me colors the way I see the world and eventually, it's going to affect my relationship with God and my relationship with people. And when my attitudes are wrong and when my heart is wrong, if I don't deal with it, I begin to cause damage to other people. And before long, it closes off and interferes with my relationship with God. And there I am, going in circles, doing it all by myself. Anybody ever been there and done that? Don't want to go back again? It's interesting. Yes, I can be blinded to the fact that the problem isn't around me. Sometimes the problem is me. Sometimes it needs to be dealt with. And that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's look at Galatians chapter 5, because I'm going to show you some things. Galatians chapter 5. Some of you are saying, man, this isn't the kind of message I wanted to hear today. That's okay. I'm going to get to the good part in a minute, okay? So just stay with me. You'll get to hear what you want to hear in a minute, I hope. If not, you'll get to hear what you need to hear. How's that? Galatians chapter 5, Paul talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Everybody, if you've been around church very long, you know people talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. What, what is this all about? I'm going to read through these verses. And I want you to follow with me. Galatians 5, look at verse 16. Paul says, I say then, in other words, I give you this commandment. I give you this information. This is what I'm telling you. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What he says is walk under the influence of the Spirit of God that lives in you rather than submitting yourself to the influence of your fallen nature. That's what he's talking about. Next verse, verse number 17. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit lusts against the flesh. It literally means the flesh and the Spirit war against each other. They butt heads. They, they fight each other. Not just they lust against, they fight against each other. 
says, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Paul is saying here, when Jesus Christ, and everybody, you need to under, if you get this, this will simplify your walk with God. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, he washes away your sins. The Holy Spirit takes residence in you, but immediately the nature of God is there and it begins to go to war with your old nature. Some people think, well, if I just get saved and give my heart to Jesus, I won't have any more problems. Are you kidding me? You give your heart to Jesus, a war breaks out inside because the Spirit of God starts running interference against your old nature. Some of you used to be hateful people before you got saved. Some of you used to be nasty. Some of you used to be downright filthy and ugly. Anybody identify with that? Does anybody here used to be that way? Okay, there's one or two honest souls in this place. Some of you still are. That's why I'm preaching this today. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> just, just having a little fun, okay? Don't get mad. Here's the point. We give our hearts to Jesus, and all of a sudden there's a war inside. Because I used to do this and this and this, but now the Spirit of God is bringing a new nature to me. Now, let's look at what it says. Verse number 19. Look at verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. Which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, that's witchcraft, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath or anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. Man, is he ever going to finish? Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, notice what he says, just as I've told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice those things, those who give themselves over to that lifestyle, it interferes with the nature of God and what God's trying to do in our lives, and it keeps us from experiencing all the blessings of God. Now, somebody will say, well, this guy's preaching works. No, I'm not preaching works. I'm talking about what the Spirit has come to do in our lives. The natural man, the flesh, as Paul calls it, has a nature that is selfish and sinful. And that old nature produces all of these works, these acts that are called the works of the flesh. But notice, Paul says that when we submit to the old nature, it puts us in turmoil with God. It also puts us in turmoil with people. We can't get along. Now, let me, let me spend about... 30 seconds here, and then I'm going to move on to a whole different tone the rest of this message. You know, have you ever talked to somebody about, hey, man, why don't you go to church with me? Nah, I don't want to go to church. Nah, I went to church for a few weeks one time, and you know what? There's a bunch of hypocrites in that church. You ever heard that? Now, I think, number one, that's usually an excuse. It's usually an excuse because you won't find any perfect people anywhere, including church. If you want to find people who are trying to find a better way and struggling, go to church. That's where we're supposed to be, growing in God. But there's something else to that. Sometimes it's true. People come to church and hang around God's people and say, oh, man, we're so glorious and wonderful on Sunday. But, boy, do we struggle on Monday through Friday. You get around us at church. You get around us here. You get around us there. And, man, all of a sudden that old nature shows up. We put a damper on it on Sundays, and it shows up the rest of the week. You know what that is? That's religion. That's Phariseeism. But Paul said, we have this war going on inside of us. And we're going to submit to one nature or the other. Now look at verse number 22. 
But, here's the flip side, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. What is the fruit of the Spirit? I don't need you to list them. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, let's break it down into simple terms. What is fruit? Fruit is something that grows on trees. How many would nod your head and say, okay, I'm, I'm with you so far? How many of you have already gone to sleep? Fruit grows on trees. Have you ever watched a tree produce fruit? You know, in, in, the, in the fall, you prune the tree. In the wintertime, it just rains on it. And it's there. It's bare. There's no leaves. And all of a sudden, springtime, leaves start coming out. Buds start coming out. And then all of a sudden, little pieces of fruit appear. And they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Then they get ripe and we pick them. Have you ever watched a tree produce fruit? I mean, it takes time. It's a process. But have you ever seen a tree doing this? Have you ever watched a tree try to produce fruit? Really working hard? No. No. Why? Because if a tree, if its limbs are attached to the trunk and the trunk is attached to the roots going down into the ground and there's nourishment there, the roots will pull up the nourishment and the tree will automatically produce what it gains from the soil. It, is, it produces what comes natural to it. So it's not doing this. It's just doing this and it's letting the nature inside come to the end of its limbs. Produces fruit. Paul talked about the fruit of the Spirit. So what he did, he likened us unto trees. God doesn't want us to run around. God wants us to tap into him and just get still and let him do the work from the inside out. And what he's doing on the inside begins to produce different actions and different fruit on the outside of us. So I tell you, you know, for weeks now, God wants to do new things for you. Everybody's like, yeah, go God, go God, do something for me. But now we get to, well, God wants to do something new in you. Uh, you know what? I kind of like me the way I am. I think I'll just stay right here. That's what caused Israel to die in the wilderness. But here's the thing. Paul says the Spirit of God is able to change the fruit that's being produced from your life. But he does it from the inside out. That's why religion doesn't work. Religion tries to change us on the outside rather than the inside. The Spirit of God changes us on the inside, which produces different fruit on the outside of us. Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit, by what it produces. We'll be known by what comes out of our lives, not what we say we are, what people see from our lives. That's what we're known by. Now, we talked about fruit, talked about a tree. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's what the Spirit of God has the potential to produce in us. It's God who lives in us, changing our nature from an old nature to a new nature 
so that God's nature begins to come out of us. It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. If we change on the inside, it changes the way we respond to things on the outside. By the Holy Spirit, God's nature can be produced first in me and then through me. God wants to change me. The Holy Spirit at work in us is the antidote to the ugliness of my fallen nature. The Holy Spirit is the antidote. It's the cure for my fallen nature and the way I used to treat people. Can I tell you something? And every Christian, I think, should have this testimony. But I'm going to tell you something. When I started out in the ministry 40 years ago, there was a whole lot of change in that needed to take place in me. And I'm, I'm preaching to myself today. I'm preaching to me just as well as I'm preaching to you. Because God blessed me with this amazing gift of being quick-witted. But God didn't bless me with the ability to be a smart aleck. That came along somewhere else. And I have this ability to think really fast and to put it into real sharp words and bam, aim it right where I want it to go like an arrow. But as a pastor dealing with people, sometimes you have to learn how to season your words with grace to get people to move in the right direction. And my friends know, I mean, I can be quick-witted and a smart aleck and I mean it all in fun, but you know what? That's something that has to be tempered or it becomes poisonous to God's people. Because you can cause a lot of wounds with your human nature. You can be right about something and rip somebody to shreds and cause them to get infected and stop walking with God. Even though you were telling them the truth, the way you told them the truth, if it wasn't seasoned by love and motivated by love, seasoned with grace and motivated by love, you can rip somebody to shreds and it does nobody any good. Go ahead, give the Lord a hand because that's true. And God is teaching me I've been, I've, been, I've been preaching 41 years now, and God's still teaching me to temper this thing. And, and you know, it, it, you know, I was talking earlier about well, that's just the way I am. You know, you can take it or you can leave it. Does anybody here ever, do you, do you have a hard time being patient with stupidity? <laughs> you know, I'm really that way. Sometimes I look at things, I think, are you kidding me? You don't, you don't see what, you don't see that? You don't understand why you run with that bunch of people and you wonder why you do the things you do? You, know, you show me your friends, I'll tell you your future. But the thing is, deep down inside of me, I look at stuff and I think, well, that's so stupid. But you know what? That's not the way to tell people. You don't set people down and say, you are so stupid. Now, I say this to be humorous here, but I want you to understand something. God's working in me. And sometimes I still have some Freudian slips. My old nature comes out of me. But God's, you should have seen me 40 years ago. I was a mess. You give people authority when they don't understand the nature of Christ, and they'll hurt a lot of people. And we're all in process and God is trying to change us on the inside. So when we get to the promised land, we're ready to go in and possess it and do with the promised land what God intended for us to do, not what we wanted to do with it. Because if I do what I want to do with it, I will misuse it. So I need God to change my nature from the inside out. The Holy Spirit confronts my fallen nature and begins to change first me from the inside 
changes my life, then he changes my lifestyle, what comes out of me. By the Holy Spirit's influence, I begin to respond to situations as God would respond to situations. I change from the inside out. Submission to the nature of the Spirit keeps me at peace with God. Paul went on to say, look, if we're going to draw our life from the Spirit, if we're going to ask God to give us eternal life, if we're going to claim we're children of God and the Spirit of God lives in us, he said, let's not just draw our life from the Spirit. Let's be shaped by the Spirit and live the life of the Spirit. Let's let him work in us and then flow out of us. Jesus was asked one day, what's the greatest commandment of all? Jesus said, the greatest commandment is you love God with everything you've got. Did you know when the Spirit of God starts working in you, he begins to separate things out of your life that are going to interfere with you and your relationship with God? He begins to do that. He begins to pull you away from that old selfish, sinful nature. But then Jesus said, the second commandment is this. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus said, all the law, all the commandments, it's all wrapped up in those two things, loving God with everything you've got and loving people the way you love yourself. He said, if you can do that, all the law and commandments are fulfilled in your lifestyle. Let me say it this way. Christianity, the real proof of Christianity is, number one, how I walk with God. Number two, how I walk with people. And both of those things need to be working properly. Because the Spirit of God's going to help me walk with God because He is God. But the Spirit of God's also going to change the way I deal with people and help me deal with people as God would deal with people. Ephesians 4 30, Paul was talking about some ugly things that sometimes happen in relationships and how people get into fights and we do ugly things. Paul made this statement. He said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, I can be right and I can still grieve the Holy Spirit the way I handle a situation. Don't grieve, don't offend the Holy Spirit to the place where he just go over, goes over and sits down in the corner and says, I might as well be quiet. He's not going to listen to me anyway. Paul also said, writing to the, to the Thessalonians, he said, do not quench the Spirit. Don't interfere with the fire of the Spirit and what He's trying to produce and what He's trying to change in your life. Don't quench it. Don't throw, don't throw a bucket of water on that fire. Let Him finish what He started. Let Him finish it. Because what He's doing in us is preparing us for us, for all of us, to become what he has for us in the future. Every one of us has a promised land. But we have to be willing to submit to what God's doing in us to enter into that land, to be prepared for it. I'm almost finished, but let me, let me share one last little section of thoughts with you. Every now and then, someone will ask me, you know, Pastor, you know, I, I would really like to get married someday. Might be, a, you know, a young adult. Might be somebody who's a little older. I've had people of all ages do this. Pastor Gary, I'd really like to get married someday, and I'm really praying that God will send me the right person. Do you have any words of advice for me? 
And the first thing I always tell people is, it's not about finding the right person. It's about becoming the kind of person that the right person deserves. It's not about me finding somebody to complete me. It's about me becoming what God needs me to be, to be a part of that happy marriage. And I think sometimes, I think sometimes, we lose sight of the fact. Scripture says in Ephesians 5 that we're the bride of Christ. And just as much as a man wants to find the right kind of woman, the perfect woman to fill his life, someone he can really honor and look up to, as much as a man wants to find that kind of woman, Scripture says that Jesus is washing us by the water of the Word so that we're without spot, without blemish, because we, the church, people, we are the bride of Christ. I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that one of the things the Holy Spirit's trying to do is prepare us to be the kind of bride that Jesus deserves. A bride without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. We miss that. And then we come back to this. That's just how I am. You can take me or you can leave me. When I have that attitude, I find myself going in circles wondering, God, when are you ever going to do what you said you were going to do? When are you going to do something new? And God says, I've been trying to prepare you for it for a long time. Let me work in you. I want to ask you a question today. You know, when I have my prayer times in the morning, I, I read scripture. I'm, I don't read for here. I read for here. I don't read in the mornings to learn. Sometimes I learn things and sometimes I'll get thoughts for sermons and ideas and notes that, for sermons. Yeah, that happens. But when I read Scripture in the morning and I have quiet time, I'm reading for what I need here. God, what do you need to do in me? I think that's something that all of us need to be praying on a regular basis. God, what is it you want to do in me? Because you know what I found? Every time I pray that prayer, Bam, that fast, God answers it. He'll bring someone's face before me. He'll bring a situation before me. He'll bring something in front of me that happened a few days before, something that's about to happen. He begins to deal with my heart and says, you need to get properly prepared to deal with this as I would deal with it. It's not for pastors. It's for the children of God. Let me ask you today, what does God need to do in you? What is God wanting to accomplish in you? If you'll pray that prayer, God will answer like right now. If you'll submit, he'll begin to work in your life. He'll work in your heart and change you from the inside out and your life begins to produce God-like fruit. Bow your heads for a moment. I want to pray for you. Father, pray for every person in this room right now that you would grab their hearts. And God, as we sang earlier, bring us to a place of surrender where we stop wrestling. We, we stop hanging in the middle between the spirit and the flesh, but we walk over to the spirit and embrace the spirit of God and say, God, work in me. I surrender. Work in me. Change me from the inside out. God, I am so much in process. Thank you. God, I look over my shoulder. You have changed me so much, but I've still got so far to go. God, thank you. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for preparing me to go in and possess more of you and more of your blessing. 
Thank you for preparing me to be a greater witness, to make a bigger impact in this world for you. Father, I give you the glory. But God, I pray for every person in this room right now. Let us come to the place every day of our lives where we surrender and say, God, what do you want to do in my life today? Change me to be like Jesus. I give you permission to work in me. Help me win the battle against my old nature. Help me become what you created me to be. Heads are bowed for just one more minute, please. Maybe you're here today and you've listened to this message. Maybe you've thought, wow, this Christianity thing, it's not about religion, it's really about relationship. Absolutely. It's about God coming into our lives and living in us and changing us from the inside out. It's about God taking his word and working it in us and then working it through us. Absolutely. Maybe you're sitting here today and maybe you're thinking, you know, I've never really understood this or I've never been in a place where I was ready to surrender my life to God, but I really do want God in my life. Maybe today the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart and maybe you're realizing I need to let God in. You probably got a thousand questions. You might even be afraid of the process. You know what? It's time to lay it all aside and open the door and say, God, come in. The way we do that is with honest words. It's an expression of our heart. God, come into my life. We call it a prayer, but I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to help you pray that prayer and open your heart to God. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask everybody in this place with a sincere heart, Repeat this prayer after me. You don't have to yell it, but right out loud, just speak these words. Say, God, I need you. And I want you in my life. I need forgiveness. I need a Savior. Please come into my heart. Let your spirit begin to change me from the inside out. I believe Jesus is the Son of God who died for my sins and was raised from the dead. And I ask Jesus to become my Savior and the Lord of my life. I surrender to you. From this day forward, God, you are my Father, and I am your child. Lead me, and I will follow you. Thank you for receiving me. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe you prayed it a long time ago, but you've been on the run running from God and you come back home today, the greatest decision you'll ever make in a lifetime is committing your heart and your life to God. And here's what we want to do. I feel like, we as a church feel like, it's our responsibility not just to introduce you to God, but help you get started walking with Him. This prayer is not the end of the journey, it's just the beginning of the journey. We want to give you a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's just a little bit of reading for each of the next seven days. And when we come back to church next week, that'll get you started building that relationship with God. It'll help you know how much God loves you and all the great things He wants to do in your life. He talks about prayer. He talks about the importance of Scripture. There's a lot in there. We want to give it to you. It's our gift to you. There's two ways you can get it. In just a few moments when we're finished, there'll be prayer teams at the front of the building. Just come down to one of these prayer teams and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you right there. No questions asked. You can also go to the Connection Center out in the lobby, get the same book there. Just go out and ask for the booklet. They'll give it to you there. We simply want to help you get started walking with God. Hey, it's been so good being in church today. Can we just welcome new folks into God's family right now? Put your hands together. God bless you.